Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse... We talk with an abuse survivor named Citrine, and Citrine was married to a controlling abuser. It's a story of people-pleasing, victim-playing, isolation, lies, and manipulation. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Satrine. How are you? I'm good. I am doing good. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. And if you want to be a guest like Satrine is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And today you're going to hear Citrine's story and there's a content warning for this episode. We do discuss sexual coercion very briefly in this episode. So there is your content warning right there. And I really want to thank Satrine for being here with us today because her story, there's a lot of little nuances you're going to hear today. And it's very difficult to tell a story like this with all these little nuances. And Satrine is here to really validate all of those things for you today. So a big thank you to Satrine. And now I'm going to get out of my way in your way. Satrine, the floor is now yours. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Brandon. Okay, so I guess, I mean, firstly, I do want to say just a big thank you for having me. And this has taken a couple of goes, but it's really exciting to be here and to be able to share my experience. Um, I do want to say that I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time, and it was so imperative and so crucial in me understanding what was happening to me at the time, as well as once I had left the relationship. It was really crucial to my healing journey. So thank you. And I just hope that by sharing, there'll be so many people out there that have the same light bulb moment that I did. So I guess I can start with um, how I grew up and potentially like what I was like as a, as a kid. I grew up in a traditional um, Greek family household and I have a brother, an older brother, and it was just mum and dad. And my Dad worked full-time and worked very hard and took on that 
role for the family and mum took care of us in the household. So both were incredibly stable in that aspect and I must say I was and I still feel really fortunate because I did have everything that I needed growing up and we were taught about respect and we were taught about being kind and being grateful but I guess being the youngest and also being a female there was also I guess some aspect of being like I guess Greek and being in a traditional household where I felt like I did have to sort of fight a little harder for the things that I wanted Um, so I would always stick up for myself and I guess I challenged the social norm um, especially with my dad because he was quite traditional and you could say he was quite old-fashioned but I look back and I understand that his protectiveness um, was also coming from a place of just what he knew and how he grew up. So he grew up in a village in Greece and it was really quite tough times. It wasn't easy for him and his family. I have a great relationship with both my parents, but I always also felt like I was misunderstood and I felt like I didn't quite fit in because I was always wanting these different things um, from, I guess, my life. Um, But in saying that, they supported the sports that I wanted to do. I had great schooling. I had a really good circle of friends. I guess you could say I was quite introverted, but also quite social at the same time. Um, To give you a bit more insight too, I was, say, school captain at primary school. Um, I played taekwondo and tennis and soccer. But I also felt like I had to um, not compete with my brother, but I did have, I really followed his lead. So he was, I guess, a good influence on me, but I wanted to do what my brother did. Um, And I made sure that I could, keep up because really and truly in a Greek household too the male can't really do much wrong and in my eyes I felt like he was the golden child so I really wanted to please so I guess this goes into the perfectionist mentality that I have and had and also that people pleasing mentality that I had and all I ever wanted to do was just please I wanted to do the right thing and what was just especially when it came to others. So there was that aspect of my mentality growing up. Um, I knew how to make people feel comfortable and I knew how to make people feel so understood. Um, And I put a lot of energy into making others feel good about themselves. If we're going to talk about, say, relationships, my interpretation of them, I was very black and white. Like it was very much like, you know, you are loyal to your partner. You are committed. Um, divorce is not an option. Um, I thought divorce was, uh, I guess, a way of failing. And they, having seen my parents and the way that they still are, they're so committed to each other through all the ups and downs, but just so, um, so supportive and so loyal. So they were a really great influence to me. But in saying that, my grandparents were a different story. So this is my mum's parents, and I'll just touch on it briefly, where their relationship wasn't smooth sailing and they actually separated in their 50s and I actually witnessed that confrontation as a child and I remember really taking my grandma's side because that's the side that I, I was seeing more of and I remember being young and sticking up for her and even writing a note to my grandfather on a napkin 
to say, like, you cannot treat her like this. This is not fair. And if you do, then you'll, I'll never speak to you again. So I had that kind of personality growing up where I, was, I really wanted to stick up for people who I thought were being wronged and I wasn't afraid um, to, to kind of hold my ground, essentially. Um, strangely enough, as an adult, once I found out what actually happened between them, the story really coincides with my own. So it wasn't actually um, my grandfather who, I guess, I don't want to say he wasn't in the wrong because it always there's always two sides to the story. But what came to light as an adult, I was like, wow, my story is a reflection of my grandparents' story. Um, and I can chat about that a little bit later. So I guess prior to the relationship that we're going to talk about, um, I did date throughout high school, um, nothing serious at all, um, but I always was really comfortable within myself. So that's probably something I should flag, that even in my teens, I was really sure about who I was. Like I knew my, what my identity was. Um, I didn't really, I would be honest, I didn't suffer from, say, low self-esteem. I just had this really innate like understanding of who I was, even though I felt misunderstood. Like I didn't budge from the things that I loved. I knew what I liked and I just delved into so many different forms of inspiration. Um, and I just naturally had this really optimistic personality. Um, I just wanted to see the good in others and the good in myself. So I was like a resilient, strong character, even again from a young age. So when it came to dating and exploring and understanding that new chapter, um, I just felt very comfortable. Um, and I didn't really feel like I had any, I guess you could say, sort of issues. Um, I just I knew where I stood. I could take care of myself. And I was just pretty, I mean, happy is probably not the word, just a pretty comfortable, outgoing to a degree, but not kind of, you know, teenage girl. Um, but I do want to flag my first somewhat serious relationship, which was in high school and then went over a couple of years into leaving high school. For example, I feel like this is a bit of a recurring theme. My family didn't think it was quite right for me. So I guess in hindsight, it turns out that potentially I wasn't really making the right decisions for myself, even though I felt so strong, strongly within myself and felt confident, I clearly wasn't picking the right ones. So this one, for example, he didn't work. And I just Again, it was that like, I adore you. I'll take care of you. I can fix you. Um, I would always meet that person more than halfway and always compromise. So even if they were doing things in this particular relationship, doing things that I necessarily, they weren't my in line with my values, I would just be so accommodating. Turns out with this relationship, this particular guy was talking to girls on the internet behind my back. And this is when I guess those internet chats first sort of came out. And these girls actually approached me and said, hey, so-and-so is actually having these kind of conversations with me. And I remember feeling so gutted and I just felt so deflated and confused. And I knew that they were right. But at the same time, I did not want to believe that that story was the truth about this person that I was with for probably about three or four years. And it took me a long time to come to terms with that. So another little recurring situation with me is that instead of just saying that is enough, 
and I'll walk away right now. It took me probably like two years before I could in that relationship to understand my value within that relationship and to know that those actions were not okay and that he was indeed lying and I needed to call him out on that lie. So I guess that was the first situation where I didn't put myself first and I was, I was trying to please and I was trying to fix that situation, but it didn't need, it didn't need fixing. I just had to obviously leave earlier. So eventually you meet the person that this story is about. So what was your life like at that time period? Like who were you at that point when you did meet this person and also take us through this meeting? Mm, So at this point, I was still with, I'll call him my high school boyfriend. So I was still with my high school boyfriend at the time. But I had already found out about these chats that he's, he was having behind my back. But that relationship was so on its way out. It was completely expired, but I was obviously still trying to hold on to it. So when I did meet, I guess, my former partner, I actually met him through a boot camp class. And it was because my brother had a mutual friend with my former partner. This mutual friend and my former partner conducted these boot camp sessions and asked me to come along. I had never met my former partner. My brother had though. So he had insight into him before I did. So when I went to these boot camp classes, I had already had a little bit of an idea of what he was like based on what I was hearing from my brother and our mutual friend. And at this point in time, I obviously was quite confused. I knew I needed to end my relationship with my high school boyfriend. And when I had met my former partner, I remember thinking, my goodness, and to give you, I'm going to paint this picture for you. My former partner was incredibly charismatic. Um, He was really outgoing. He could think on the fly. It looked like that it looked like he had everybody wrapped around his finger and it looked like nothing could faze him because he was just so jovial and just so excitable. He was like this excitable puppy dog, I guess, that was confident. And I actually was quite intimidated by him, but I was also really intrigued by him. And I remember thinking, gosh, he's got so much confidence. And here I am with somebody who is lying to me, someone who isn't working, someone who has no respect for himself. And the world is so much bigger than this. And I'm being restricted by this relationship. And there could be so many people out there who are respectful, fulfilling, want to live a life. So this was a bit of an eye-opener for me at the time. Um, And I remember my brother having said to me, oh, he's, um, I guess the way that he described him, it was, um, it was almost like he was quite amused by him, but it was also a negative tone. It was like, oh, he's, he's, he's a bit nuts and he's a bit crazy and that's, he just, he does this and he does that and it's his way of doing things. But I, my brother didn't seem very impressed by him, um, but just more entertained by him. Um, so I guess with those boot camp classes, um, I was very intrigued by him. And then the more classes I did, I realised how much attention I was getting from him. So after every class, I would get a message. And during the week, I would get emails. 
And it was quite interesting because my best friend who came to the classes with me, she would also get these um, messages too. And at one point she was a bit like, oh, I think he's hitting on me. And I just thought, oh, that's kind of odd. He's just a nice guy. You know, you, you shouldn't just think because someone's being nice that they're hitting on you. Um, but I actually quite enjoyed hearing from him. And I look back and I, I remember what those emails were like and the messages and I thought, geez, they're so perfectly orchestrated. They're just, they're just almost too perfect. They weren't authentic. They, you could see the manipulation happening already and almost like that psychological pull on how to get me to respond and how to uh, lift my confidence and how to make me feel like I was literally the star of that boot camp class, um, really complimentary. So those compliments just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. I guess a couple of months went by and by this stage, my relationship with my high school boyfriend was done and dusted. Um, and I was actually just living a really enjoyable single life. For the first time in quite a long time, I was single and I was having a great time with my friends and I felt so comfortable in my skin. And I felt more like myself than I probably ever have because I was just in this state of, well, this is me. This is just me with no one else. And it was a really, really wonderful feeling. And I guess it probably was about six months in between. So, for example, once I broke up with my high school boyfriend, it was six months before my former partner and I actually got together. So there was just a lot of conversations taking place. And what I also want to add to is, even though I was really intoxic intoxicated by him, there was people around me, let's, for example, my brother, who didn't have good things to say about him. And I guess this is kind of jumping forward a little bit to the point where I'm finally, finally, to the point where my former partner and I um, actually get together and my brother finds out. Um, I was actually warned by my brother and he had said that he was really not happy with the fact that we were seeing each other and that he didn't like the way that he, my former partner spoke about women and the way he treated women. And I just thought this was so odd. Like I just couldn't understand that because in the time that I got to know my former partner and we were slowly seeing each other very, very casually and very loosely, um, I just couldn't grasp where he was coming from. Uh, there was that sense of, gosh, my brother is an absolute gentleman and I believe what he says and he's also very just and very fair and a perfectionist as well and I thought he wouldn't be telling me this if it wasn't true but I didn't want to believe it again. Um, and that was the first warning sign I got that I completely ignored because so I was like, he's so good to me. He treats me like a princess. He really, really understands me and he really pays attention to me. Um, so that's alarming. And I look back and I think, gosh, if only I just put my pride aside in that moment and listened to him, things have been very, very different. I guess also just a little bit of background when we started seeing each other. Um, we started to play tennis. So ultimately, and this is going to be a recurring theme moving forward, um, he was very athletic. And he really appreciated people who could play sports or had some sort of physical capability, which I have having grown up playing sports. So we'd go and play tennis together. 
And I remember him getting really disgruntled. And this was the first little, I guess you could say, a very small red flag. But I saw a side of him that I didn't recognize. And that's when I went to play tennis. I accidentally uh, went to the wrong street because it was two streets um, with the same name in that area. And I remember calling and being like, oh, I think I'm a little bit lost. And there was just absolutely no understanding on his behalf. He, his tone changed. He was aggressive and he was really not happy about the fact that I just couldn't get the directions right. And he was just so agitated and that just felt really odd. And I remember thinking, and I I still know what that felt like, where I was like, this is, this is a really strange over-exaggeration. I've just literally made a, a pretty honest mistake, but then I would just brush it off because I just really enjoyed the time that we had together. Another little incident when we first met, I got a message from him one day and it just said, oh, we can't do this anymore. I really respect you and I respect your brother. So we're just going to have to call this off because there's some things that I need to, I need to get right before we continue this. And I remember feeling so gutted as well because I thought, geez, I really thought we were onto something. This felt really genuine. And um, so once he had said that we can't do this, in the same breath, I was also very much like, gosh, that's really nice that he can say that. That's really honest of him. I respect him. I'm so glad he can um, come to me with that honesty. I didn't know what was going on. As we keep chatting, I guess, loosely and casually, turns out that there was um, someone staying at his house and she was from overseas. And he just said he had to finish that situation and relationship before he could continue anything with me. And it was interesting because this is also a recurring theme that follows, that followed us for years afterwards, where there was a female that was close to him that he was with intimately, but he would first start off by saying he wasn't intimate with her. And then as I kept asking questions, his story would change and it would be like, oh, yes, we hooked up, but then it would change and be like, oh, yes, we may have been in a relationship. I could never get a proper answer out of him. So it was either the answer changed or he wouldn't answer at all and nothing ever made sense. So in this particular situation, he didn't know why this female was in his apartment, but then apparently they were having a relationship. But then he said that she was also crazy and that she caused problems and that he kicked her out. So again, really different versions of that story came to light over time. Another little red flag that I didn't necessarily see as a red flag because I just thought he was being honest. So I guess uh, in the beginning, I guess you could say we were still somewhat loosely dating, but definitely together. And there were a couple of other incidents that I raised my eyebrows at. Um, But again, I was really, really attached and I was really... I hung on to every word. I almost idolized him. That's probably also another way to describe it. And we, I should mention, we had eight years difference. So he was eight years older than me at the time. So I was in my early 20s. And I also remember feeling like this could potentially just be a bit of a problem or I wasn't 100% okay with it. But once I got to know him and because he was so jovial and fun and adventurous, It was just really captivating. His personality was really captivating. And I also just really enjoyed the fact that he didn't really care what anyone thought. He lived his life his way. And 
I thought that was a positive until I came to realize that that was just a really selfish trait because inevitably it became incredibly selfish where all he thought about was himself and it was his race he was running and you just had to keep up. And he was the main character in his story and he was very proud of that. So I guess in the beginning there was also um, a, a couple of stories that I'll share with you. One story was where he seemed incredibly comfortable, say, sexually, initially. And I remember there was one time where I wasn't ready to obviously go the full way with him, to have sex with him. I wanted to wait, given the fact that we had mutual friends and my brother knew him. I just felt like this was more of, this is a serious thing and I want to make sure I'm respectful in the way that I conduct myself because I didn't want to screw, screw it up, essentially. And I remember him being so put off by it. And I remember the look on his face and he was like, just why? Like, why won't you have sex with me? Do you know how that makes me feel? That makes me feel so incredibly insecure. And I straight away just thought, oh my gosh, I feel so terrible because I don't want you, I don't want him to feel insecure. So instead of me thinking about the way that I felt and that I was trying to set a boundary and my boundary was, I'm not going to go there just yet. Even when I had explained how I felt and that I wanted to conduct myself in a particular way, seeing as that I thought this was quite a serious relationship or heading towards a relationship, he still couldn't understand what my point of view was because he would always go back to how he felt and he would then project that onto me and he'd then make me believe that I was the one that made him feel a certain way, which again, is a theme that happens throughout our entire relationship. And interestingly enough, what happens in the future is that being somebody who was, say, quite comfortable sexually to begin with ends up completely uh, rejecting me intimately and any form of um, intimacy is completely retracted in the future. So that was one incident that took place. And again, I thought, this is really strange. This isn't, he's showing me a side that I don't see because he's usually so happy and understanding. But again, I just, as I usually kind of do with uncomfortable situations, I would just brush it under the rug. And I didn't want to be confrontational either in the process. And because I looked up to him, I, and because I trusted him, and I guess it goes back to perhaps that age gap that we had where I thought he knows what he's saying, I trust what he says, so therefore I need to stay in line and I don't want to rock the boat. So those thoughts were happening quite earlier on, but again, the highs would always overpower just those little lows that were taking place. And in saying that, another situation that took place earlier on in the relationship, which again, we're looking at his ability to test me and to see how far he could push me. I didn't notice this at the time, but it has become quite obvious now that he was trying to see what he could get away with. And I had a trip planned with um, my girlfriends and we went to Greece and I hate to admit that it was just a horrible, horrible trip because of what I had experienced with my former partner. So he knew that I was going away and this was planned well before we actually seriously got together. 
and I knew that he wasn't comfortable with it and I felt really apprehensive about going, but at the same time I thought this shouldn't be a problem. And what I had done to make him feel comfortable, I had actually put a photo in an envelope with a cute little love note for every single day that I was away so that he could open so that he knew that I loved him and that I missed him and that I wasn't going anywhere because he felt really insecure that I was going for five weeks without him and I was going with my girlfriends. Side note, he also didn't particularly like my girlfriends and this becomes really obvious later too where his judgment and his critique, the things that I loved and the people that I loved actually was peppered through really earlier on in our relationship. Um, but I, I went to Greece and we would communicate as often as we could and I tried to be really mindful. And this is when the first escalation took place um, where he was verbally abusive. And I remember being uh, on a video call and I actually was not expecting this because I had never seen this side of him before. And I was in the in the reception area. I didn't have headphones because I just didn't have them on me at the time. And we did a video call and he was crying and he was sobbing and his eyes were red and his face was red. And I remember thinking at the time, I have never been spoken to like this in my life. Like he was screaming at me. I had no idea what had happened. I couldn't comprehend what the situation was until obviously all the words came out and these words were relentless. They just, he would not stop talking and he was blaming me for being away. He kept saying, how could you leave me here? It's cold. It's miserable. I'm in Melbourne by myself. I'm all alone. Um, you know, how could you do this to me while you're having such a good time? You're not even contacting me um, and threatening for us to break up. And it just kept going. It was like threat and then it was criticism and it was just belittling me. And I remember sitting there and I felt so shaken, but I felt so confused. And I also almost felt like, gosh, this is quite comical. There was a part of me because it was so fresh and early in the relationship where I thought this is literally, and I won't say the word, but this is effed up. Like, I can't believe he's talking to me like this because I've never grown up with this kind of talk around me. And I just thought, this is so disrespectful and this does not make sense. And I tried my best to calm him down and nothing I said would help. He just went like higher and higher and higher in terms of his volume. And he was swearing and I couldn't even get a word in. And then it, all he wanted me to do was apologize. And this is also a theme that goes forward where he would say, if only you just apologize, if you apologized, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I would try and apologize. I would try and fix it. So he was playing into my wanting to please, wanting to fix, wanting to help, but also my feeling of wanting to idolize him. Like I had put him on this pedestal. So I would do anything I could to make him feel comfortable. And he would tap into that. And if I tried to apologize, that wasn't good enough. And then it would turn and be like, well, you should have thought about that before. So this conversation went on for quite some time and I felt incredibly embarrassed because I thought, gosh, if anyone can hear him yelling at me like this, I just feel so humiliated. And I had this brief moment where I thought, now is your chance. You don't have to go back home to him. And I remember it was so vivid in my mind 
because I knew it was wrong. Nothing about that conversation made sense. I was confused and I felt sick and I just felt so violated. I was just also so confused because I'd never seen this side of him. And I just thought, this is this feels like I'm going crazy. This situation is absolutely crazy. And then that thought, again, like I normally do, is sort of too hard basket. And I thought, if I fail now, then I feel like I'm not just letting myself down, but I let down everyone. And that's how it felt. So I couldn't break up with him because it was like I owed it to myself and to others to almost prove to myself and others that I can do this. I'm resilient enough and I can push through. And even if he speaks to me like that, I will be my optimistic self. I'm going to be positive and I'm going to push through this and I'm going to keep going. So that was my mentality, which was like my resilience was from the get-go. Resilience turned out to be something that really got me into like quite a pickle later on because it turns out resilience is not always necessarily a positive thing, not when you think that someone should be talking to you like that and you think being resilient is putting up with it. So that was a big learning curve for me as in in the future. Um, But turns out I wanted to fix it and he wanted me to talk to him more and I did that and he wanted me to send him sexy photos and I did that and I just tried to give him as much attention as possible while I was away. I didn't go out with my friends and I had a really lonely time. So. When I went back home, I just wanted to do anything I could to, to please him and make him feel comfortable and really secure that I wasn't going anywhere. Moving forward, we were really, again, attached to each other. We spent a lot of time together. He always wanted to spend time together. And I, again, thought this was wonderful. I was like, he wants to spend time with me. We're the bestest of friends. Um, and one thing that he did do was he took me on a lot of holidays. So he was incredibly adventurous and loved new experiences. And so did I. And this was a trap for me, which I didn't know at the time because I just wanted to experience everything. I wanted to experience new cultures and countries. And I was wanting to excel in my physical potential. So that goes hand in hand because we would obviously do a lot of physical activities when we were away. So earlier on in our relationship, I actually got diagnosed with Lyme disease. So we were visiting his fa- uh, his parents, which live in a different state in Australia, and I was bitten by a tick. And this happened in the first year-ish, under a year of us being together, perhaps less. And this was quite an interesting time because, again, it was a distraction to the lows. So... The theme of our relationship also has so many highs that were so distracting that I couldn't really see what was actually happening. And Lyme disease being obviously like not a great time in my life was still a distraction to the newness of this relationship. Um, I do also want to add that by this point, yes, my family knew we were together um, and this caused a lot of tension between my father and I, because I knew straight away that he was not, he was not, not approving of my former partner. And it was mainly based, yes, the fact that he wasn't Greek, but I think he could let that go. But it was also because of his attitude towards my, my dad. Like even when they first met, 
he was really quite disrespectful, I would say. And he, there was, you could already see that there was this issue of like potentially an alpha male situation. My former partner would always say to me, moving forward, you know, I won't be told what to do by anyone. I won't be told what to do by your dad. Um, he would always play into the fact that I wanted to respect my parents. My former partner would play into that. So he would use just my love for them too and my moral compass against me. So my family and I, we all have the same values in life and we might not always agree, but mainly yes, and that's why we're quite a strong unit together. But my former partner had very different views and to be honest, I don't even know that he even had a moral compass. It's almost non-existent now that I look back, but he would use that to his advantage to manipulate me against my parents. So he would constantly be in my ear to say things like, well, they treat you like this or they do that or they're not as good as you say or he would always downplay the achievements of my parents as well, which was really, really frustrating because I didn't agree with what he was saying. Um, So when it came to my dad, he was not okay with the rules that my dad had for me and his protectiveness where it was like, no, you can't stay over because, you know, that was a rule. Um, And he would, my former partner would really fight me on those things, you know, stand up to your dad and I'm a 31-year-old man, I should be able to stay at your house. So right from the get-go, these boundaries were really pushed straight away and I look back and I think, I always think this, like how did you just let your moral compass slide so much? Because I was just, that was something that was just so ingrained in me and I was torn. I was in the middle. I was torn with wanting to be like, I guess, progressive in a way and also wanting to be really independent and really forward thinking and live my own life and get out there and have no one tell me what to do because I didn't really like being told what to do. But then I really wanted to be respectful because that's also ingrained in me. But it was just so strange that in the end, I was so influenced by my former partner that he would tell me what to do. And considering I don't like being told what to do, I still somehow managed to put so much trust in him and allow for that to to happen. Well, you know, based on what happened when you were away, if he's guilting enough, and if he is very crudely, you know, banging his head against your fence long enough, he was able to get you to do what he wanted to do. And, you know, I guess, and this is with a lot of people, people who have good boundaries. Sometimes with people who have very good boundaries in the stories that I have heard, finessing them isn't always the best thing to do if you're an abuser. The way to go about someone who has very good boundaries is just to wear them down Mm. and just continue to ram, ram, ram in the sense of if it's like a child in the backseat of a car who's constantly going, are we there yet? 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 Until it's just so relentless that you kind of give up of what that boundary is because it's just so tiring playing defense all the time 
And sometimes for people that have very good boundaries, that's the one of the only ways to get them to break those boundaries. You just tire them out. Wow. Yes. Wow. That's inc- that's exactly that's exactly correct. That's what it felt like. I was just really worn down from the start without realizing until I really, really realized how worn down I was eight years later. And it was very possessive as well um, in that sense. And with my former partner, what you said is absolutely correct. And he's re- he was resilient in the way that he kept on, I guess you could say, uh, repeating himself. My resilience was very much like, I can handle this. I can fix this. I will do better. And he knew how to play into that. So it was very much like my way is the only way. And this is, again, the theme in our relationship. And all those closest to me noticed this too, where it was very much like his way is the right way. Whatever he says is correct about any topic. Um, The way that he lives his life is correct. Nobody else can live a life as good as him. Everyone else is wrong. uh, once I had, I'm, I guess I'm just going to go back a little bit, but once I had Lyme disease, um, I, and thankfully I was at home. So I had a roof over my head and this was a very new experience for me, but gosh, that's a whole other story in itself, which taught me so much. And he was in the picture, obviously, but this gave him the opportunity to almost like infiltrate my space more. So because I was quite vulnerable at the time and I wasn't able to work, I had to leave my job and I had to focus on treatment, he would stay over. And this was his way of sort of poking the bear and being and adding um, uh, that kind of annoyance of I can do what I want and no one's going to stop me and you're in this vulnerable position and, if, and because you're at home and you can't come to see me, I will just invade your space. And also at the time I didn't realise also that I wasn't really ready for him to just be around so much um and it was the way that he did it as well it was just that me 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 I'll do what I want and I don't care what your family thinks and I'll disrespect them in the process but again there was so much happening that I didn't notice how this was unfolding I also do want to point out that my former partner was never say diagnosed as a narcissist um but I do use that word and I use it based on the therapy that I've had and I guess the clinical diagnosis that my therapists have um, been able to use with the traits that he, um, that he portrayed. Um, so I guess it is true what they say about narcissists where they will end up telling you what it is you need to know without you realising and I just want to give these examples because they happened earlier on and during this time when it had Lyme disease where he would really talk about his life in a way that he would try and school me and manipulate me in believing that he was something that he wanted me to, he was someone he wanted me to believe. So he would tell me he was having, you know, trouble with managers, um, that they would pick on him, that he felt like, he would be bullied at work. He was bullied by housemates. He was bullied by friends. He was bullied by soccer coaches. And I would sit there and really sympathise because he had such a great way with his words. He would really tap into, I guess, the, just the like human psychology. He was really intrigued by it 
and he knew a lot about personality types based on also his field of work. So he would know how to tap into, I guess, that, you know, that topic. Um, so the way that he would describe these situations to me, I literally sat there thinking, wow, that's really sad. I can't believe someone treated you like that. I can't believe they spoke to you like that. Good on you for sticking up for yourself. And he would also say that when he stood up for himself, you know, he would swear at them and he'd put them in their place. And I again thought, good on you, like good on you for having that courage and confidence to tell someone that, hey, you've mistreated me. And he was literally telling me that he was verbally, basically what he was saying was that he was verbally abusive and he was okay talking to people like that. So that was kind of a bit of a light bulb moment later on where his stories that he fed me earlier on was just him saying, hey, this is who I am and I'm okay with it. Let's see if you're okay with it. And I clearly was because I really just admired him for having this confidence. He would also say that um, I would always, like, I guess, commend him on the confidence that he had because he just was so comfortable in his skin and he would always say that he had a really tough time growing up, that he was bullied, um, that he felt like he didn't fit in um, and he's had to learn to be confident and he would say, if no one's going to stick up for me, then I've got to stick up for myself. And again, I thought that this was such a great switch of mentality where, you know, you create your own narrative in your life. And I found this to be quite, I was quite influenced by him in a positive way. Like he was quite a role model because he, he lives his life his way. So that's another aspect of the initial stages and how I was just so wanting to make him feel really good about himself because he would tell me how insecure he was. There was also an incident when I had Lyme disease which was a, another situation with a girlfriend who came to visit. And I, didn't, I knew she came to visit. It was actually on our anniversary. Um, and he was, all, he was notorious for being on his phone all the time. All our friends and family, that was just a topic of conversation. They just couldn't believe even as the years go on. He was just always glued to his phone. It was always with him. He was always on it. And he was never present in social situations. And he also had a tablet and the tablet happened to stay at my house for some reason that night. And when he left, it was probably about 11 PM and I was at home just relaxing, resting, having, you know, dealing with Lyme disease and his tablet went off. And I thought that's really unusual. And this is the first time where I started checking his phone or his other gadgets, I guess. And this is the start of what was a really traumatic time for me um, because it was actions that I never believed I'd ever have to do in terms of checking his devices because it's also highly disrespectful and I'm fully aware that I'm invading his privacy. But as, I, as the years go on, there's more that takes place that I find out, which I will talk about. But this particular situation, um, his friend messaged and said, um, you know, she was ready to be up. And I remember my world was just spinning because I just thought, oh, my gosh, he's going to see her. And it's like nearly midnight. And again, I just thought this can't be happening. Like this isn't the kind of person he is. Like he never lies to me. We're always together. He's so open with me because he had the gift of the gap. 
always communicating and he was so open in that sense that I always thought he tells me everything. There is absolutely no way. I ended up calling him just to see where he was. And I remember feeling so shaken. I felt so anxious and I felt really sick. And he said that he was at the petrol station. And I remember trying to dig a little deeper to see if he was going to be honest with me. And when he wasn't being honest of where he was going, because he's like, I'm just going to go home. I then confronted him. And I was still at this point where I had the strength to confront him. I wasn't afraid. And this carried through maybe in the first few years of our relationship where I still wasn't afraid to confront him and tell him what I thought because I was naturally I'm quite fiery and I, I've always stood up for myself. Um, but you'll also find that that really, that fire just disappears um, based on his reaction to me once I stood up for myself. But um, then he admitted, he said, yes, I'm going to see her. We're just going for a movie. I'm just going to go watch a movie at her place because I won't be able to see her before she goes. And, again, I believed him. It's wanting to see the good in the situation um, as opposed to seeing it for what it really is because at the end of the day that's deceit and that's lying and you can't, once that trust is broken, it, it just can't be built back. And I think that was the one of the first moments where I thought, wow, there's a little piece of that trust pie that's disappeared on my end. But again, I just had to keep going and I just kept, I just pushed that under the rug yet again. And then as usual, there's always things that I find out later, which was, yes, in the past he had actually hooked up with her, um, but he never said that originally. He just said, she's a really good friend of mine. Um, I'm really good friends with her brother too. So this was, again, always the case where there was a very close female friend that he actually indeed either had a relationship with or hooked up with that he was still close to. Um, but the story would constantly change and he had all these supplies around him. Again, they could just be friends, but it was a little too close for comfort on my end. And in future, this particular friend, she would come and stay on the weekends um, and hang out with us when she'd come to Melbourne and he would always be like, oh, she really likes you. She really approves of you because she's really protective of me. So another theme later and down the track is the comparison that he would always make with me, his girlfriends, as well as a comparison between me and my family or friends. So he'd always use, there's two versions to this. If they're his girlfriends, he would compare me to them in a positive way and be like, oh, you're so much like them. They're really gentle like you. They're really nice like you. You would really get along with them. So then I had this positive interpretation of these girlfriends that he had. But when it came to my family, it was negative. So it was very much like you act like them. You don't want to be like them. If you act like them, this is how you're going to turn out. Um, so also then creating a divide between me and my family and also me and my friends. So eventually you two moved in together. So walk us through this. So just a brief um, explanation on us moving in together. Uh, after my treatment with Lyme disease and I got better and I recovered and I was back on track, we ended up moving in together. Uh, it was an apartment that I owned and it was finished being built. So we moved in. And I also just want to say that any time that we moved, I had to pack all our belongings and unpack them and set up. So he was always 
too busy working. He also just did not have like that capacity to stay focused and also work as a team. So I was always in between my shifts and my work. I was setting up our home essentially. Um, And it was always like it was a bit beneath him or as in he couldn't contribute and there was always an excuse always an excuse as to why he couldn't contribute and actually work as a team because turns out he can't actually um, work as a team with anyone it was a very much a one-man show so we had lived together in my apartment for about two years and in all honesty I don't even remember what that was like because there are literally no memories it's there's there's nothing that I can recall I remember working a lot and at this stage I actually changed careers after my Lyme disease diagnosis and this career was really in line with me wanting to help others Um, and it was actually the same field of work that he was in and he was trying to get me not to be a qualified um, personal trainer and he would say, are you ready for this? Are you sure you want to do this? It's hard work. It's not what you think it is. and I really thrived in that area of my life. And I just want to flag that every career that I've had, because I've sort of changed a few roles during the time that we were together. Thank goodness I had my work and the people around me because it just created such a place of happiness. And I look back and I do know that thankfully, if it wasn't for me being so happy at work, which is where you spend most of your time, and I had so much support from friends and I had such a great network I think I probably would have noticed how bad my relationship was but I again was distracted so I couldn't really tell so we were living in this apartment and obviously coming from a Greek family you know there are obviously sort of I guess steps that you take there's engagement there's marriage there's a house and whatnot and my parents obviously wanted to see commitment, but they didn't necessarily push it onto me. But I also felt obliged in this way where I wanted to make sure that I was showing them as well, that I was making a really good decision and a very calculated, educated decision that I was with someone who I was really happy with and treated me really well. There's kind of two sides to this where my parents and have said this to this day, They thought I was really happy because I kept telling them how happy I was. And they, all they wanted was for me to be happy. And they never, nobody around me knew what was actually happening behind closed doors and then obviously what takes place in the near future. But they just thought I was happy. And they had also said that they knew he wasn't right for me but they didn't want to push me away in the process. So they accepted that I was happy and they accepted him into our family life. So they felt a little bit stuck too, because if they were to tell me what they really thought of him and the dynamic that he brought to our family, they were worried they would lose me. I guess they were just so accommodating and so accepting of him. And they were very much like, well, that's just him. And considering my father is a very opinionated, strong personality, He really had to bite his tongue so many times and I could see the tension over so many years of how uncomfortable he was being in the presence of my former partner. So I guess there was a lot of tension over the years and my family saw a lot of 
things in him that they did not approve of and they did not like one bit. But again, I was happy. I had a smile on my face and that's what everybody saw externally. And naturally being this go-getter who just really immerses like herself in her work and the people around her, again, it was very hard to, to really detect anything um, or any kind of just unhappiness or misery at this stage. And I couldn't really notice it yet either, even though I wasn't feeling comfortable with just some of his behaviours. Um, I guess we're looking at two years into the relationship, if not roughly three, and by this stage, um, all intimacy was com- just completely gone. There was no intimacy. Um, we did not have a sex life. Um, and initially, just life happens and you just keep going and there's other things that keep you, I guess, motivated and satisfied. So this wasn't really a problem for me at this, at this point. I do also want to just quickly mention that I did mention the travels that we did. And I just want to talk about this because I feel like it connects with, I guess, having no sex life in a, in a weird way. But he was always taking me on trips. I didn't spend one birthday with family and friends because he organised a holiday every single birthday for eight years for me. And initially I thought this was fantastic. I was like, oh, my gosh, Hawaii and New Zealand and Tasmania and um, we'll go to Bali often. and. I just loved the travel aspect and I thought this is fantastic. I didn't feel like I could keep up, but I was able to keep up. And a lot of his friends would say, how do you, like, we didn't think anyone could keep up with him, but you can. And I took, again, a lot of pride in this. I thought, this is easy. I can do this. Um, But he was always pressuring me to take leave and talk to your managers and why haven't you already? And, you know, I want to book these flights. So he would take me away. And these holidays were a wonderful distraction. Again, it's those highs and the lows that I was talking about. These holidays were so action-packed and I saw so many beautiful places that at the end of the day, say not having a sex life and not being intimate, for me, it just almost, it, it just wasn't something that I thought about in the first few years of our relationship. Again, he would message me a lot. He would call me a lot. Um, he was always talking, nonstop talking. So all this like verbal communication that we had in our relationship made me feel like that really equated to something. But he would also influence me and manipulate me in thinking that obviously having a sex life is not important. Like he would say, but we have something that's so beautiful. Like we communicate, we talk. And he would say, oh, other couples, um, any bit, they don't even talk to each other. You know, so he would sort of use those kind of examples where just because, you know, you, you might have like a very thriving sex life doesn't mean it's a good relationship. So then I would think, okay, well, we must, like, we're doing pretty good. Like we're really, you know, we're really solid. We're really happy and we're just literally like these best friends um, that love each other. Um, so once we had lived together in our apartment, we travelled, we were working he finally popped the question and it was actually on my birthday and I look back and I think at the time I thought wow what a special occasion it's my birthday he's proposed to me mind you I knew that there was a ring because we had picked it together and he was very adamant that we pick it together Um, and he was also very adamant about how much he spent on it again I was very much like I don't need gifts I don't care about material things and he also 
I guess you could say groomed me to think that way because he was very much not a gift giver and he would always say gifts are so not necessary for birthdays. Valentine's Day is ridiculous. Um, you know, you should show love to each other every day. He would never buy me any gifts. Um, again, not that I needed them, but I also felt like a good relationship doesn't need gifts. It doesn't need a sex life. So I was very much just hanging on to all his words and living the, I was literally molded into a, like a mini version of him. And that's what a lot of friends and family say later down the track where I lost so much of myself because I just hung on to his every word and I mm, wanted to, to please. He has become the truth teller in your world. And, Correct. And everything that he says has now become a voice inside your head. And in a, and in a lot of ways, I'm going to assume here that he doesn't need to do a lot of, you know, verbal manipulations at this point because a lot of the time now like you're doing the work your mind has taken your mind is now his mind and it's kind of taken over so you're doing a lot of the work for him and giving making you voiceless is is the best way to put it correct absolutely like our minds were literally the same mind and i i felt so sure of myself that like i did have an independence and identity, but I absolutely didn't. Um, that's how like intricate and confusing it is and so subtle um, because it well and truly is just these daily comments, but they're so consistent and it's those small comments of influence and manipulation and control. Again, so minute, but constant. And that repetition becomes, that became my new reality. And I was like, this is my reality. This is who I am um, without pushing back on it because I felt really comfortable in my new reality. And I guess that's kind of, I guess, would you say that, is it that cognitive dis dissonance where I couldn't argue any of that because it really and truly felt like me, like I had really embodied his thoughts and his way of life and his opinions, basically. Um, but I felt weirdly comfortable so that's what I knew that was familiar to me um so I guess we got engaged he also um, marched to my dad's disappointment he actually just called my dad that morning of um so that didn't really sit well with my dad um but everything went ahead as it, I guess it usually does um and we actually got married in Greece and my former partner was really adamant that he did not want a big wedding. I come from a Greek family. Um, so there were, probably would have been about potentially 200 to 300 people. Um, and that was absolutely a no-no for him. So he was very much someone who didn't like social events. He didn't even make an effort to come out with my friends. Um, he didn't really enjoy being around, say, my family. You could just tell because he wasn't present at all. So um, I guess in terms of the wedding, we thought about eloping. And my parents, especially my dad, wasn't very happy about that. Um, but once we said it was in Greece, it kind of just diffused the fire a little bit because we'd have a few more people there. We weren't necessarily going to elope. We actually were going to have some friends and family there. Turns out we had about 80 people there. And it was, it was a really special time. But I guess it was more special for 
what it did for us as a family, bringing us all together. Um, but insane, like I never look back and think, oh, my gosh, I just, what a lovely time. And I don't miss that situation, if that makes sense, because I understand how sort of empty it was. Um, but I can appreciate where we were and what it, how it brought us all together. So once we got married, um, we moved back into him with my parents and this was also a pain point for him because he hated living under someone else's roof or rule and he would make this really difficult for me. We were looking to buy a house, in which we did. So we moved out after nine months and we bought a house which was about an hour and 45 minutes away from my family home. At the time, I thought, wow, this is so exciting. My gosh, what an opportunity. Or in a really stunning part of Australia, which is um, by, by the ocean, basically, they, they hold um, the pro surf at one of these really famous beaches. I don't know if you might recall, but um, a stunning part of the world. And I felt really grateful. And again, it's that distraction that made me think, oh, yeah, we're progressing. We're, we're, we're growing as a couple. And I also want to flag again that this is probably uh, like four to five years into the relationship and, again, a non-existent sex life. So I should also add this started to become my pain point and I want to flag the kind of conversations that we were having. For me, it did get to a point where Initially, I really wanted to be open about it. And I thought, gosh, we're a couple. We can talk about this. I could never talk to my former partner about anything that related about feelings that were about us. So he was a complete closed book. When I say that he was open, he was open in the sense that he would talk about anybody else and their lives and critique them and judge them and say really nasty things about them. But he could never talk about us and he could also never talk about himself in terms of how he felt. It was just not possible. I could not break that barrier with him. And I would gently, and by this stage, I was very much gently trying to have these conversations with him because I was worried about how he would react and he would dismiss the conversation. So he would change the topic, he wouldn't answer, and it was very hard to have that conversation. So I thought I'll just try again next week. It might even be through a text message just because I face-to-face, it just felt very uncomfortable because he just did not show vulnerability, yet he was the first person to say that showing vulnerability is an amazing strength. So even in text messages, he would give me a little back, but he would agree with me that he wanted to work on it or reignite our intimacy, but he never followed through with any actions whatsoever. So I was, it got to a point where I was rejected by him a lot in that sense. Um, He would say he was too tired. He had a sore back, um, but he would go and cycle for hours on weekends or in the morning, or he would go for runs. Um, He would like not even let me relax on a Sunday morning. in bed because he would put the blinds up and our bedroom was actually facing the street. So you could see people walking by with their dogs or their families, their prams. And sometimes I'd literally, it, it's, it was that obvious in terms of how close our front room was that I would sometimes get eye contact with these people walking by. And I thought, this is so awkward. I'm lying in bed and I just want some time to unwind. 
but he would get so angry at me for asking to keep the blind down and he'd be like, and he would get up straight away. So again, he was forcing me to not be able to relax and also then pretty much just rejecting that intimacy by him getting out of bed, putting the blinds up, not respecting my privacy. So then I'd have to get up too because I was pretty much exposed to the street. So I guess once we had moved into our new home, again, another really beautiful great distraction because I was so excited that we had a house and I was so excited to furnish this house. And my previous, previous role was a stylist. So I have a very creative um, flair. And I took so much pride in taking care of this house and setting it up. And again, I packed all of our belongings. I unpacked everything and I set up a four-bedroom house with two lounge rooms and a study by myself. And I even put together the furniture by myself um, because he just was busy doing his fun activities like cycling, riding, going to work, and just not breaking from his routine that he was so rigid with. So living with your former partner after marriage, you found yourself not having any autonomy when it came to home purchases, and he was still working the job in your old town, which became a really big no-win situation for you. So walk us through this and all of these other things that were going on, red flags or little abuses that were happening at this time. When we first moved to our new home, our new family home, I guess you could call it, I got new jobs straight away. I had three casual jobs. Um, I was so excited to really like get to know my new community. And he was still working the job that he had back in, I guess, in the other city, I should say, which was about an hour and a half away. Well, sorry, I should say an hour away, this particular job. And he would make me feel bad about how tired he was I would also help to try and find him jobs um, in this in, in our new city. And he got to a point where he would get angry at me for sending him jobs. I even had to do an application or two for him because he just could not apply himself, even though he would complain about the job he had. But then he wouldn't let me help. Then he wanted to keep the job he had. So I was always, I, I, nothing I could do was ever good enough. Um, it got to a point as well where he, I couldn't buy, say, clothes that I wanted to buy. Um, and I was also fearful of doing that. So he really instilled this, don't spend money. And it was my money. Like this was literally out of my account. But he was so good at making me think that his way of living was right and my way of living was wrong and really wasteful. So I was scared to get to buy things and I, I stopped buying things. I'd only buy things that were absolutely necessary and things that were on sale. Um, so this was a constant stress for me internally and in doing, in him acting that way towards me, I lost a lot of myself because I, if I got a haircut, I mean, he would also then attack my appearance. He, he didn't like the haircut. Um, I couldn't go and get my nails done because that was wasteful. I couldn't get my makeup done for an event because that was wasteful. I had to start sort of hiding a few of these things from him and lying because I was just so apprehensive of his reaction because it was always so negative and so critical and it was so controlling. Um, I had tattoos. I had piercings when I met him. I had blonde hair and he hates, he hated all of that about me and he would make sure to let me know. So he would tell me that 
you know, oh, I hated your blonde hair or I hate the fact that you like wearing leopard. I don't like how your friends dress. Um, you know, I don't like tattoos. He didn't have any tattoos or piercings. And there's no way that would even question to say, oh, I think I'm going to go get, you know, I really want a tattoo. It just, the, the, that topic could not even come up because I would literally be schooled. Like I would probably hear a 15 minute rant about why I shouldn't do that and just how, what a waste of money it was and, and then critiquing everybody else who likes that kind of thing. And then even things like um, my work at the time would hold sample sales and you could buy like a huge box of samples for like 5 to $10. And I got to this point where like psychologically I was like quite desperate where I really lost who I was and I being a creative individual because I couldn't express myself through my physical appearance because he just wanted to completely strip me of that he just wanted me to like wear no makeup not do my hair not dress up I'd always be questioned why I was dressing up when we went somewhere like why you're wearing heels I just again I'm a natural tomboy at heart but I also really enjoy this creative aspect of myself and I just became I guess not even a tomboy I was like just completely stripped of any kind of identity or even fit like any kind of sexuality or like femininity was completely taken away he just didn't value that or care for it um at all and he would also really criticize other females who were really confident or maybe looked sexy um so there was just all this voice was in my head all the time on a daily so these sample sales as I was saying I got so excited about them because I thought, okay, I can find a bit more of myself. So I was always trying like behind the scenes to almost not overpower him, but find that little bit inside me that was like, oh, you can, you can be you amongst this. How can you find a way to be you amongst this? So I still had that little fire inside me and that voice that was like, yeah, you can, you can do that, find a way to do it. And that would satisfy me. So with these sample sales, I would hide the boxes in my boots so he wouldn't see them because I knew that I would absolutely get schooled and lectured about it and I just couldn't handle hearing it because I didn't agree with him and it just felt so controlling and just so um, horrible. Um, so when he would say, well, like, oh, is that is that new? I would say oh, I've had this for a while. Um, but um, in the end, I just became like this um, mix match of, sample sale pieces that I tried to put together and my identity was still not me but at least it was something um and that was a form of expressing myself I guess um some other points of control at home were and this is again these are really odd but I feel like I do want to just say these two examples because I just feel like they kind of highlight how absurd this behavior this control is and the boundaries that were crossed so he had this like obsession with chiropractors and he was watching these chiropractic videos nonstop. And in his mind, he was like, I can do what they do and I'm going to practice on you. So he would always insist, like, can I crack your back? And he's like, I do these with clients all the time. I can do these, like, don't worry. And obviously I didn't really want him to be cracking my back. He's not a qualified chiropractor. And then I also felt like it was quite an invasion of my space because if I say no, that should be a no. But he'd make me feel really bad about it. And he would be like, 
you know, oh, just stop being a sore, like get on the ground. I want to crack your back, lie down. And then it would always be like, if I ever tried to stick up for myself, in even those small moments where I tried, it would be like, do you have your period this week? Do you have your period again? Like he would just badger me in that way and be like, why are you, why are you being difficult? Like, why are you being a whinge? Like, what's wrong with you tonight? Jeez, you're snappy. And this would be constant. Like any moment that I was like, no, like, no, that's the reaction that I would get. And then he would kind of be really like off court and he'd, you know, throw his arms up in the air and, um, and just give me kind of like a dirty look. So there were moments where I gave in. And then there were moments where I was like, no, like you are not cracking my back. Um, and that went the same with like, obviously, like even I was very insecure about my skin. So I didn't have really great skin. And he would just be so obsessed with wanting to, like, if he saw one little thing, like a pimple or a blackhead, he just thought that he had a right to just touch my skin and pick at it. And again, this was this recurring theme where I always had to say no because it was uncomfortable and I didn't want him to do it. But again, he'd make me feel bad for saying no. And he would say things like, do you want to like leave the house like that? Or wouldn't you rather it be gone? Like, I'm just doing you a favor. And again, that conversation of why are you being so snappy? Like, do you, is it that time of the month for you? Um, and sometimes he would even try and compliment me first. So if I was in the kitchen, I was making food or washing up, say, oh, your hair looks really nice today. And I just always knew that it was just so ingenuine. It was so icky because I thought you are, you're just actually trying to get me, you're trying to confuse me here. Like you don't actually think my hair looks nice. There's something else that you want. And it was just him. He literally then would go in and try and pick at something that he saw like on my skin. And if I said something, he would then, his other reaction was like, whoa, 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 like what's wrong with you? And it was like quite dramatic the way that he would respond to me when I would say no. Um, so there was quite a lot of that that took place as well. Um, and again, I felt really bad for just sticking up for myself. And then I just felt like I was a bad partner and I was very not accommodating and that I wasn't really compromising and I was being difficult. So all of these control-related tactics are being used against you and the boundary of the word no is just not being respected and he's wearing you down and these things become a constant in your life. But then some escalation points start to happen. So walk us through this. So... Uh, when it comes to escalation points, the main thing revolves around this particular girlfriend that he had. So just to backtrack, this particular girlfriend came onto the scene um, before we got married. So she was actually a client of his and they used to run together. They used to train together and she was his client. And I didn't think anything of it initially, but he had mentioned her and he would tell me a few little stories about her as well as all the other clients became a bit obvious that he was talking more frequently about her and her situation and her situation very much was that he, and he would do this with a lot of his clients, he's really built them up. They're so strong because of him. They've reached their potential. They're so fit and that he's really molded them to live this better, healthier life because his way of living was literally the most healthiest. Nobody else could reach him 
when it came to that. And didn't think anything of it. He did say that her boyfriend had left her unexpectedly and that she actually was in a really, really bad place and that he's really taken her under his wing and he just feels so sorry for her. And he kept saying, imagine that, imagine your partner just leaving you like that with no explanation. And that has stuck with me for a very long time. And it's a topic that I had talked about with my therapist because it was almost like he was saying that to me as a message because I just didn't understand why he was so fixated on that point of, you know, imagine someone up and leaving you like that. And he really used that to defend her in the future. And I noticed also that he was messaging a lot and I realised that he was messaging her and this was before we got married. But he didn't really say too much about it and I let it go. Once we got married and we moved into our new home, another part of that story was that this particular client and friend, let's say, she actually lived, say, 12 minutes down the road from our new house. So it was quite interesting that we ended up buying in an area where she lived. Um, didn't think too much of it at the time. So this particular friend that lived close by, um, they ended up, they were commuting together and they were, again, they were cycling together, running together and spending quite a lot of time together. And I tried to, again, very gently, just like the way that we talked about, like intimacy, try to tiptoe around the topic that was very uncomfortable, hoping that he could open up to me. So I would ask about her and I would just try and get a little bit more information and also express that this is making me uncomfortable. And this is when the escalation really takes place with the, like the verbal abuse that it was, again, just relentless. So he would yell at me. He would literally scream at me. I don't even know how his volume got so loud. And he would swear at me and call me names, like any name you can really think of. I probably don't need to say what they are, but he would make me feel like I was obsessive, like I was crazy, um, that I needed to get a life, that I needed to have goals. If I just focused on myself, then this wouldn't be happening. I'm pushing him away. Um, and mind you, I was working three jobs. I had all these friends and I was so happy at work, yet he had no friends and he only had her as a friend. And he didn't find new work. He was still in that same environment um, that he had for like, I guess, 10 to 12 years. Um, so he made me feel like really pathetic. And that what I was asking of him to share this information on this girlfriend that he had was really um, really out of line on my end that I was asking about her and that I was uncomfortable with their friendship naturally because they were so close and he also wasn't um, being honest with me either so he I would be working late say a night or the, the night shift of say till 9 p.m and he would actually be at her house having wine and cheese and whatnot and he would keep that from me until I figured it out and then he was honest with me but then he would say that because I was a psycho about it he could never be truthful about his friendship with her but I never gave him a reason like I, I never raised my voice about it I just asked him questions to be curious to be open to try and communicate but he made it out like he couldn't tell me because I blew up about it but it was him that would blow up about it as soon as I mentioned her name 
So it got to a point where he was so protective of her because he's like, she's such a good person. She's like my sister. Um, you don't even know her. And I just thought, and I would say to him, like none of his family and friends knew about her and their friendship. And I said to him, you know, if your friends knew about her and your friendship with her, they would also think it's not normal. So I would challenge him and say, why don't you actually talk about her to them? Why don't you tell your family about her? Um, and he would never answer those questions. Um, they would message each other all the time. It was daily. And again, I got into such a like tortured emotional state that because I was so obsessive with wanting to look at his phone and see those conversations, again, I was trying to catch him out and I could see that the conversations that we're having were not okay and that his behaviour was not okay. But it was almost like the conversations were somewhat in code. So it was really hard to like pinpoint exactly if that makes sense, that something was not quite right. I couldn't say really catch up that say he was having an affair with her, but it was just there was still too much communication for say a, a couple for one half of the couple to be okay with. We had gone on holidays together and she would message him and I found messages like I miss you and whatnot. And these were also escalation points because once he found out that I was looking at his phone, that became a really big problem. So I remember we were in Bali and he was just screaming at me and we were in the street and he was saying, you know, like that's, you know, he can never trust me again because I looked at his phone and, you know, our trust is completely broken and we can never get it back. And um, he doesn't need to be with me. He's choosing to be with me and that I'm so ungrateful and that um, I don't contribute to the relationship. And it was always turned back on me. Nothing I could say. I couldn't even get a word in because he would just keep talking for a very long time. You know, there were times where like, he was screaming so loud that I was worried, like that the neighbours would hear, for example, and I would like close the windows and the doors because I just felt so ashamed and humiliated. And it got to a point where this was happening for, gosh, like a, a year or two where she was on the scene and he was still very close with her and there was nothing I could do to get him to even meet me halfway with that topic. And then I found a, a half-naked photo of her uh, in his laptop. And this was a huge moment for me where I thought, I can get out, like I can leave. Like I don't have to put up with this anymore because he's lying, this is disrespectful, like he's verbally abusing me and this is my, this is my evidence basically. And... It was the, the worst feeling in the world finding that photo too. It's that feeling of feeling so sick and like your whole world is like just crumbling like on top of you basically and I just wanted like the earth to swallow me up because I had already experienced so much anxiety with this situation and it, I was so fixated on it and just my nervous system was just completely fried because it was constant. It was the constant me needing to know, wanting to know, not understanding what was happening. And him just like pushing it back on me and just making it really difficult for me to to get a, a just a decent answer out of him. Um, but again, he talked his way out of that, and I believed it. And his excuse was, 
mind you, she had a boyfriend this whole time. And his excuse was, well, first it was a progress shot, you know, because he trained her. It's a progress shot. And I knew very well that it wasn't a progress shot. Then he changed the story and he said that she was feeling insecure. So she just wanted his opinion on how she looked because she felt like maybe her boyfriend didn't look at her in that way. And it just kept going and going. So the story changed. And there was also that part of me that thought in that time, where am I going to go? If I leave him, like, where am I going to go? So I felt really trapped and I felt really alone because by this stage, I was very isolated too. So this is like two years after we got married. I was so isolated. I barely saw my friends. They obviously lived an hour and 40 minutes away. My family barely came to visit because they just, I knew no deep down they couldn't stand being around him and they wanted to see me, but I had become really like even more introverted and I was so exhausted. I was feeling because of all this emotional like turmoil that I was experiencing, like I just had no energy for anyone or anything. So I would go to work, put on a happy face, love what I did. And that really got me by again. And I was so, so lucky. Yeah. I just didn't know who to turn to. And I just refused. I still wanted to protect him. So I had this silly mentality of being like, I need to protect this relationship at all costs. And I wouldn't budge from that no matter how, how, gosh, even not even upset. It's so much, it was so much more than being upset. It was, it was literally torture, that feeling of, um, going around in circles um, so I guess to wrap that part of the story like I will never actually know if anything happened between them because he denies all of it um, and I guess I just gave up searching for that answer because I knew I wouldn't get the correct answer even if I tried because that conversation was just not allowed to happen um, so I just became incredibly submissive and I just walked on eggshells to keep the peace and pretend like it was a very normal part of, of our relationship. So eventually the end of your relationship nears with a series of events, one of them being the death of your grandfather and because you needed an extra car after yours broke down, your former partner put a lot of pressure on you to ask for your inheritance at a time when this should not be asked at all. And this did not sit well with you and would not sit well with most people if this was to happen. And then your mom gets sick. So walk us through this. The tipping point for me was uh, my mom uh, was suffering from some panic attacks and they just, it happened so randomly, but she just had like three to six months of it. And I remember he was just not considerate or compassionate whatsoever. And I remember wanting to spend so much time with her and he would make it really hard for me to spend time with my family because he was always critiquing me and he was always making me feel bad for spending time in those very rare moments that I went to visit or whatnot. And his reaction to me wanting to help her made it very obvious to me that he was just so cruel. He came across to be so, oh, like a people's person and lover of life, yet he could not have any sympathy or empathy towards like my mum who's going through something really serious and not understanding that I wanted to help her. 
And that was that light bulb moment. That was one of them because it's so strange how it was when I saw the way he treated her, that's when I realised how not okay his behaviour was. So I could handle being treated so badly by him, but I had to see him treat someone I loved in a disrespectful way, like in an obvious disrespectful way for me to say, I'm not okay with this. That was that first moment. And I remember him also saying that my dad wasn't, didn't do enough for her. And my dad did so much for her during that time. Like we saw the strength of them as a couple during that time because it was just, it was such a difficult time, but it was so beautiful to see how my dad just looked after her. It was just, I can't describe it. It was just beautiful. And me witnessing that also showed me that I'm missing out on something. And the fact that my former partner couldn't recognize that in my dad was alarming for me because I'm like, he's literally trying to change my perception of my parents, but I see him for exactly who they are and the love and care that they have for each other. And he's literally on another planet. And it was just this really big, like my bubble just burst really quickly. And in the end, I actually helped my former partner get a job where I was, the place that I loved to work. I helped him get a job in the gym there. And he was so ungrateful for that job and continued to complain, complain, complain. And there was always a problem. His managers were bullying him. He was being treated unfairly. He just every night it kept going, going, going. Mind you, this was sort of COVID time too. So it was like in lockdown, not in lockdown, in lockdown, not in lockdown. I was fortunate enough to keep working through. My former partner, um, he was sort of up and down. And because he was home so much, it was very obvious. It's like his true colours literally came out. And I was like, I don't know who this person is, as well as the confrontations and the verbal abuse and the control that I was experiencing over the last, like, say, four to five years consistently. His true colours were just so poisonous um, because he was just always at home and he wasn't his happy bubbly self that he could be. He was just always finding something to complain about. Now, I must also say, like, I was so, uh, what's the word, like, so accommodating. I, like, that was a very difficult time for everyone. Um, but this situation is not that. Like, he had everything that he needed and he's, incredibly privileged to have what he had during that time um, but he just made life very difficult constantly criticizing everyone else it was a very toxic toxic environment and it was just that his personality was on show more often instead of me seeing it now and then it literally was like every day I was just hit with this like toxicity and this poison like poisonous negativity I could sense that my parents could also sense that something was going on that was not quite right because I had just, I had really become even less of myself than I was. Um, and by this stage, I was even like, when I had left, I was 10 kilos lighter as well. So, um, yeah, I was not really looking like a picture of health. Um, and I must also say that he affected my sleep because he wouldn't let me sleep. And that's a whole other topic, but he stayed up late. He kept the lights on. I had to sleep with an eye mask on. And this went on for two years, every night where he would be on his phone and 
he would play videos and there was sound. And if I just politely asked him to just please like turn the volume down or turn the lights off, I would just get yelled at. And this was two years straight. Um, again, I don't even know where those two years went, but um, it was, yeah, it was, I, I don't even know what to say about that, to be honest. I think I still struggled to like comprehend that I, in quotes, was resilient in that aspect too. Um, when the bubble burst and I took my rose-colored sunglasses off, I thought, okay, you've got to be strategic about this. You have all of these experiences with him. And in my head, again, I just didn't think it was good enough to leave. I kept telling myself, I don't have the right to leave. Like, it, it could be worse. Maybe I'm exaggerating. I didn't really want to believe what the reality was. But I was like, you have to test him. So I did. We were driving into work together. And as usual, he was running late. And he says, we're going to be a bit late. I'm running overtime with my client. No stress. This is usual. Let my manager know. Um, and then we should have left 10 minutes ago. And he says, do you know where my worktop is? And this was, again, a recurring thing where I just was always picking up after him. He was always messy. I was always organizing his life. I was doing everything around the house. And he would just never contribute. And I was also getting his uniform ready the morning of. We should have left already. And I said, okay, you're going to test him and you're going to see his response. And if his response is what you think it is, this is, this is your sign. And I said to him so gently in the most like meekest voice ever, but I was like, you know, just as a little solution, what if you were to just get your clothes ready the night before? That way you don't have to do it the morning, the morning of, you know, it would just be so much easier. And literally I just had unleashed the beast. It literally was a monster. Um, his reaction. And again, when he got like this, and this was one of the scariest, but there was a lot of that anger and rage that came through a lot of the time. But this was on another level of him screaming at me at the top of his lungs, um, belittling me, saying that I was OCD and obsessive and I should just go wait in the car. And then I'm obsessed with being on time and I care too much about what other people think. So the conversation ended up completely moving on to me when all I had said to him was like, hey, here's a solution. Maybe just getting stuff ready the night before. And he hated hearing that. And then it became about me. So I would, he just started pinpointing that I think I'm too good now that like I have a good job and like what I wear and you think, you know, everyone thinks like you're this, but you're not, if only they knew how you were at home. And he just, it just, the, the, the script, it literally flipped onto me. And I remember feeling so scared. And I, like, I just thought, how am I even meant to go to work? He wouldn't stop talking. This was probably like 15 minutes of nonstop, relentless rage and belittling me. And he just yelled at me to go and sit in the car. And I just went to sit in the car. And he kept going. So the trip to work was it's about like 25 minutes and he was red and he was like hitting the steering wheel and he was blaming me for making him angry, which he would normally do. He would be like, why, why, you know, it's your fault that I'm this angry. I just want to be happy. You've ruined the day. You've ruined the night. Um, it just would always go on like that. And I remember sitting there and I, like, I was, like I just felt like I was shaking on the inside 
it's and I had so much rage on the inside too because I couldn't believe he was speaking to me like that. So because it hit me and I realized what was happening, it's like I just was suffocating. Like I felt so suffocated um, because I couldn't believe that my reality was this, that I was literally being screamed at by the person who's meant to like love and care for me or the person that I thought I loved. And it was just horrible. And I'd always wait until he finished. And this was the thing because he wouldn't let me go because he would say, if you walk away, then we're finished. So I would always just cop it. I would literally just take it. And um, like, I remember thinking, I just want him to stop. Like, I just want him to stop. Um, And then eventually when he did, I went into work and I remember like really trying to hold back the tears and I just put on a brave face and um, I thought, wow, this is my sign. Like this has to be it. Like I can't keep doing this anymore Um, because it's, I'm not even like compromising. I'm literally like meeting him on the other side of the field, which is on his side. And I'm just, I'm so depleted and exhausted. So that was one huge moment of, yeah, this is obvious to me now. I can see my reality logically and rationally i'm not thinking emotionally this is this is not okay once almost like that veil was lifted and i could see things really clearly and once i saw him for what he was i could not unsee it and i felt i actually felt like physically sick um thinking about him and being around him like it got to this point where i was like wow i'm so repulsed by you because i you are you are not who you say you are and you are you are just you're so cruel and you're not a good person. Everything happened really quickly at this point. I don't even know how I managed to find the courage to do it, but I was on a mission and I had to stay focused. And he actually brought it up one night and he confronted me and he actually called, he called me out. I was so, uh, what's the word, like depleted and I was exhausted and I had nothing left in me. But thankfully, he actually confronted me as he would usually. And he said, you know, why are you being like this with me? You're making me feel like, you know, I'm non-existent. Do you know how hard it's been for me over the last few years? And then it just became about him. You know, you you do this, you don't do that, et cetera, et cetera. And then he said, and I couldn't even say, I was frozen. I could not say a word because I was still so scared. And he said if you leave me this is what I want I want the house and I want that new car etc etc and in my head I'm like this is it like this is it we're done like he knows we're done and that felt like quite a positive thing for me in a weird way um but he just became a different person I didn't recognize him the way he was speaking to me and the next day we, we did have a fight and the next day as he usually would be normal like nothing's happened whatnot our lockdown had lifted at this point and I wanted to see my friends really badly so I just said I'm going to stay with them for the weekend I'm going to see them I haven't seen them in months and it was like again perfect timing and I went to their house and I remember the goodbye hug he gave me it was like so empty his eyes were just cold there was nothing behind them but his face shrill expression looked like he was sad and it just made me feel so uncomfortable because there was just no authenticity behind that sadness um but he was really trying to suck up to me essentially and 
I swore my friends and I literally told them everything that I had to say from start to finish. And I thought, there's no turning back now. And I had never felt so relieved to be so honest because they could see a few things, but again, they had no idea how bad it actually was. And then I didn't want to go home because I was like, I can't go home now. And thankfully I had this car obviously to get me around and my parents were still overseas sorting out um, everything that happened post my grandfather passing. So I reached out to my brother and his wife and I said, you know, do you mind if I come visit? We're having, you know, my former partner and I are having a bit of trouble. Like, can I come? And my brother instantly, like 100% forced come. And I ended up going there, telling them everything too. So in this literally a weekend, a Saturday to a Sunday, it was just like story after story and just honesty after honesty. And they, my brother and his wife, like, there is no way you're going back. Like, if you decide to go back, we're going to lock you in your room. Um, so I had to think of what was next. And the next day would have been a Monday. And he would have been at work for eight hours. And my friend and I, um, I'm so thankful. Like, it, there was just no no doubt in her mind. She took the day off we ended up driving obviously an hour because I had gone back home so we had to drive an hour and a half an hour and 40 to my house and while he was at work we packed all my personal belongings and it was just a mission we filled both two cars up and then drove back home and what I ended up doing was I was again I was at this point of no return and there was no way that this could be saved there's no way and I knew that and I didn't want this to be saved because this was way too far gone in terms of a relationship. So I ended up writing a letter and leaving it on the kitchen counter because I didn't even want to talk to him. I did not want to hear another excuse and I didn't want to be dragged back because I know he would drag me back with his words. He would always find a way to make me feel like I was his queen, that nobody would love me as much as he would love me. No one would treat me like he would treat me. And just before I had left, he also said the words to me. He goes, if you leave me, where do you think you're going to go? You can't go to your parents. How embarrassing for you. That's so embarrassing. And that would have been a comment that would have manipulated and controlled me in the past, but it didn't work this time because I thought my family are so supportive. They would do anything for me. And this whole time, my problem was that I didn't realize how much they would actually do for me because they have been as solid as and supportive as they come so I left and it was adrenaline that day was just I was full of adrenaline and in my head I kept thinking I don't have the right to do this I don't have the right to leave that's how skewed my decision making was because I, I didn't wouldn't make decisions for myself because he would always make them for me but somehow I just found this strength to just just action after action it was literally step by step and I got home and my friends were there and I had, I remember I had, I went back into my old room and there was like, I had to, we un, well, we had boxes and boxes. And I remember just like feeling the room with boxes and thinking, oh my gosh, this is my new reality. My life has been turned upside down, but I had never felt more safe. Like as soon as I stepped into my family home and I knew that everyone had me, like that's, that safety was it kind of um 
it took away like all the pain or the heartache or the fear that I was gonna that I was facing or that like I was going to face and then I remember that night I had the best sleep that I ever had for years like because I just felt so safe um and because I just was never allowed to really sleep on my own terms either for so long and then once my parents we kind of kept it for my parents because they were going through a lot overseas as well so we didn't want to worry them and they could tell something was wrong and as soon as they found out my gosh like they were they were just so relieved they didn't even bat an eyelid they were just so happy that he was out of our life um and they didn't even really want to know too much detail at that point my mum knows everything now my dad doesn't and I can't I can't bring it I can't bring myself to actually tell him exactly what happened because he's already so furious and he doesn't even know, like, he knows a quarter of the way he treated me and he knows because he saw how he treated my family um, and I can't allow him to know more than that because I don't even know what would happen. So I had to keep that, you know, pretty under wraps. So how did your former partner react once you left the home uh, and the relationship for good. So I guess once I left, I was so apprehensive of his reaction. I was really trying to rev myself up about that, but I had to just let it go. Essentially, he was calling me nonstop, messaging me nonstop. Um, he was sending me photos of me. So what he would do was he used to take all these photos of me even when I slept, but he never would send them to me. And when I would ask him to send them to me, he'd get really angry at me that I was too demanding and like, I don't need to see them. But once I left him, he sent me all these photos of me to try and like get me back um, into that love bubble again. And he was using all these words um, to try and manipulate me and make me feel really loved and that he was willing to move mountains and that he was willing to see a marriage counselor. But our whole relationship, he had completely refused to see anyone um, so he was just telling me what I wanted to hear and I knew that and I felt very strong in going no contact and I made it very clear to him that I was not ready to speak to him until I felt like it. And my family was so supportive, they even helped block um, him from contacting me. The only way he could contact me was emails um, and I just had to, I felt so much guilt in leaving and I know that they say that that is a very common feeling and I felt I didn't really feel shame as much as I felt guilt the guilt really ate at me for a very long time um that was so hard for me to process because I just thought oh my gosh how bad am I for doing what I did I can't believe I just picked up my belongings and left he's going to be so devastated I've left him on his own and this was again that psychological programming I had of taking care of him all the time um, so I had to be really strong and I just ignored. I read what he said to me, but I ignored everything that was coming through. He would tell me that, you know, he obviously couldn't go on without me and um, he's in the worst place he's ever been. And I, I really, it really pulled at my heartstrings just naturally because I naturally don't want to hurt anyone. <laughs> like I don't want to upset anyone. Um but this had like this just had to be done. I had to really put my foot down. Um, 
I then ended up writing these two emails to him in so much detail of the things that he had put me through so that he had so much clarity as to why I left the way I did to be like, hey, this is the white elephant in the room. Take accountability. And I just laid it all out. And he's got those emails and he could never reply to me. So in messages later on, he said he tried to reply but kept crying. He never, ever acknowledged those emails. And the only apology I ever got from him, he never apologized to me in the eight years we were together. And I only got one apology from him, which said, after all that, he said, I'm sorry for the way that you felt or the way that I made you feel. Um, I can't read your mind. Thank you for telling me all that. And it was just like almost slap in the face every time he messaged me because, again, white elephant in the room but could not take accountability for how he had treated me. And I had to also make peace with that because that was not for me to carry. That was not a burden for me to carry. So moving forward, we only communicated via email and we only, I only spoke to him when it came to legal matters. I just absolutely ignored any other emotive language used or any emotive discussions used because I know that that's how he taps into to people to really get them on his side. He did unexpectedly visit our house on Christmas Day without us knowing, and I had heard the knock on the door, but thankfully no one else did. I didn't think it was him. I just thought it was a knock on the door. It was him. He actually left me a birthday present, which, again, he never, ever has, and it was a creative uh, book, which, again, is in line with my hobbies, which is very obvious as to what he was trying to do there because he never tapped into my own hobbies. And that was really confronting. In terms of the divorce, I filed for divorce and it did take quite a while because he wasn't responding. So the tricky part was that in emails, he was really nice to me. This is the, this is the thing. Um, he was talking to me like I was his friend again um, and I had to keep everything incredibly blunt. And we finally managed to get the paperwork signed off um, I paid for it all. In terms of settling the property, that has taken almost two years to settle the property. And again, it was any control that he could have of me, he would do it in the most subtlest of ways. If he could prolong a process, he would, and he would stretch it out as far as he could. So again, his messages, his emails were really polite and professional, but it was the actions that he took to delay every single step of the way. Um, that has obviously really stretched out this process. So he's buying me out of the house that we owned. And coincidentally, we are absolutely nearly there. And yesterday, we're almost at the last step of, I guess, completing that paperwork. Um, but it has taken a lot out of me, like the legal communication, patience, paperwork, um, hearing from him in that capacity has been really stressful to my system. And then if, um, but I'm so close. So patience really pays off, but it's been very hard. And in terms of healing, I delved into that straight away without question. I went to see a therapist and it was eye-opening for me and I focused on myself. It was when I left, it was very much like I'm putting myself first and I love myself more 
and I will do everything I can to reprogram like all the hurt that's been done to me um, and get myself back on track. I then also did coaching with a specific narcissistic abuse um, therapist for three months and, again, eye-opening and so nourishing and so healing and the healing journey continues. Like it absolutely continues and will not stop because there's always something that pops up that's a light bulb moment or a flashback or something that's really unsettling um, or something that's triggering um, but it just will ebb and flow and I know that that's part of the journey and I'm in like such a better place. Life is so, so magical now and like considering the challenge, this is a much safer side of the of the fence to be on after all that. And if you have any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would they be? I would say... Definitely lean on your friends and family. I took way too long to talk about what I was going through, but I understand that I had to be ready to. And my family says this a lot too. They were like, you had to see this for yourself. And it's exactly what happened. And I got out, but I wish that I wasn't so stubborn at the same time. So if I could probably say anything, it's, don't be afraid to talk to your family and friends and see what their thoughts are because that could potentially get you out sooner. They can provide support. They can see things from a different angle because when you're in it, it is so hard to see what is actually happening to you. And the longer you're in it, the more that you get used to that environment. It's not until you remove yourself that it becomes really clear. Well, Satrine... Can you believe that we made it this far? We did. We did. I do believe it. I think, yeah, we we did it. We did it. And this has been a while in the making. It has. has. And even today we were, you know, people won't hear it, but, you know, we we were talking in between a lot of different parts. And, you know, you did a really good job telling your story today, making it clear for everyone and really giving people, uh, you know, a glimpse into your life and how you dealt with things, how you were feeling, how you just maneuvered through things. And you just really let it all hang out here for everyone today, sharing your story. And I can't thank you enough for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I really hope that it is clear and concise for all. And um, it is a very complex situation for those that have experienced it. So, like, thank you for having me on. And I really appreciate appreciate the, the platform that you've provided. So thank you. Well, thank you, Citrine, for those words and being our guest once again. And if you want to be a guest like Citrine was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. 
And if you are someone that needs support, we at NarcissistApocalypse.com have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, you'll see a support group button. And when you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. Inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need or advice from other survivors just like you. And you are there as well to give all of your validation and advice to survivors just like you as well. You're there to share your experiences, make friends on there as well. It's a really wonderful group of people who are in our support group. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. And at DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and every web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you are in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource. It's a wonderful organization. So DomesticShelters.org, if you need extra support. And we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a new friend to the show, and that is an organization called Shelter Movers, which you can reach at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. And they are currently just a Canadian company, but they're looking to be spreading into the United States. It's a volunteer organization, and it's a donor-supported charitable organization as well. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. It's this interesting part of domestic violence escape process and getting you to safety, getting all of your things out of your home. They set up storage for you for all of your belongings, and they can even do this for pets and livestock as well. And it's just a a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or you want to donate to them, please just go to sheltermovers.com. It's just a wonderful organization. So check them out if you want to know more. And that is it for our show today. So for myself and Citrine, we hope you have a good night.